Welcome to another Game and Player podcast. This is our first in three years. We've been playing games the whole time, only this time we decided to record ourselves talking about it. I'm here with James Day, Gary Armstrong, Heather Rittmeyer, and Ed Kirchgesser. We're going to start out by talking about a point of contention between game makers and Western militaries, and that's the portrayal of combatants in modern military games. Specifically, Electronic Arts Medal of Honor. The game takes place in Afghanistan, and, as you might imagine, the enemy that NATO engages is the Taliban. All well and good, except in the multiplayer component of the game, players can choose to be the Taliban. Well, Liam Fox, the United Kingdom's defense secretary, had such a problem with it, he urged stores in his country to not sell the game. He and Electronic Arts went back and forth. Electronic Arts made a fairly good defense of its use of the bad guy. And we learned last week that Electronic Arts, to a degree, did capitulate. And the Taliban in the game are no longer the Taliban. They are the nondescript Op 4. Now, whatever you think of the actual military action, the reasons behind it, and what actually goes on uh, halfway across the world, gamers do have a very strong opinion on military conflicts in the use of games. Ed, why don't you tell us a little bit about your feeling uh, when it comes to using military conflicts in video games? Sure, Mike. And I think the best way for me to frame this is... Uh the latest Call of Duty Modern Warfare game. Um, the campaign was completely fictional in what it portrayed for the most part. Russian separatists aren't trying to destroy America or anything. But one has to argue, what is it better to show the U.S. military in conflicts that to a certain extent are absolutely ridiculous and improbable rather than portraying the actual events that they and other uh, Western powers are engaged in. Um, yeah, I, to, to me, a lot of these things, uh, these conflicts that you see the U.S. Army participating in in video games, it feels a lot like the you know Ghost Recon when uh, the Xbox was still pretty new. <sighs> Who thinks that it's a good idea to have a U.S. military unit fighting against a madman with a bazooka on top of a church tower in Mexico? I mean, that, <laughs> I, I don't see how it's better to show the U.S. military engaged in a completely ridiculous conflict than to actually attempt to present what it is that they're dealing with on a daily basis. Now, I'm sure some people feel, well, these are games and conflict is not a game. I can kind of agree with that to a certain extent, but really what separates games from other forms of entertainment, which is... I guess, a much larger issue here. Is it just that games are being used as a whipping post of sorts for the media? And uh, 
we're going to have a double standard that uh, it's okay for films like Hurt Locker to portray modern conflict, but it's a subject that's off limits for video games. Now, obviously, developers give real conflicts a wide berth precisely because of uh, Liam Fox's response. They want to avoid controversy and potentially uh, uh, the, the, the damage of sales. But why do you think it would actually be beneficial for games and the playing public to, uh, to, to, to step into the shoes of soldiers and combatants on the other side, even, of uh, conflicts that are occurring now or have occurred in the past? Well, I don't think it's that far-fetched to look at it as perhaps an, uh, an opportunity for education, quite honestly. Um, a while back, I remember, I think I wrote a little piece about uh, theaters of operations that have never been addressed in gaming. And I think I even, I, I didn't include uh, Afghanistan or Iraq for the simple reasons that, you know, to some they are a bit too close to home. But notwithstanding, we th there are so many fictional places where we see war games taking us and there are plenty more actual events which aren't very polarizing that we could see. Um, at least not polarizing from an American perspective. Uh, I know I highlighted some uh, operations that British Special Forces were engaged in. Um, uh, the Falklands War came to mind. Uh, what was the engagement in Africa? Sierra uh, Leone, Operation Certain Death. Yeah. Um, th there are so many stories of uh, armed forces in conflict which have never been addressed. And I'd argue that th these stories are 10 times more interesting than the stereotypical madman on a bell tower with a bazooka like we saw in Ghost Recon. It just I, – I, I don't understand really what the problem is. One of the better points that EA made about the playing of the Taliban – now, of course, uh, it, it was in multiplayer and not uh, the narrative, um, which stands in contrast to Modern Warfare 2, where a player was actually asked to assist, uh, if, if I'm not uh, incorrect, uh, a Russian incursion, uh, an attack on civilians in an airport. But uh, uh, playing the Taliban was reserved for multiplayer, and that was described uh, accurately by EA as context-free. Um, you could compare that to Avalon Hill, say, allowing players to command uh, the, uh, the, the, the Wehrmacht and thus the Nazis forward or uh, the Red Army and uh, Stalin's uh, uh, iron, soon-to-be Iron Curtain, but uh, certainly the, the police state that he had controlled. And yet this, this doesn't necessarily lead to strategic uh, fantasies of uh, the totalitarian flavor. Right, and that's, that's a good point as well. I mean, this, this isn't the first game to... I mean, heck, Modern Warfare, uh, as many people have pointed out, I actually think a, a corporal was interviewed by Stars and Stripes. I just was reading an excerpt about this today. And his argument was just that, that Modern Warfare has troops from all sorts of militaries and you know non-traditional forces killing each other. What is, is really the difference of that game... To, uh, to Medal of Honor, 
and it's it's portrayal of you know a conflict of the Taliban versus American and uh, NATO armed forces. Uh, now I'm 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 pretty certain that there was a bit of uh, a backlash to Call of Duty on certain uh, base PXs as well, but um, n- nothing like this. And part of me wonders if it's simply uh, politics that Medal of Honor the or Electronic Arts had so much help from the U.S. military in building Medal of Honor and input from military advisors that they just sort of felt blindsided when they finally realized that there was going to be multiplayer featuring Taliban versus U.S. armed forces. My confusion in this comes from where do where's the sort of differentiation between using the name Taliban in uh, Medal of Honor and games like uh, Fourth Spectrum Warrior? I mean, when I played that on the Xbox, I don't remember if it used specific. Uh, military names but i was on i was actually uncomfortable playing it because i kind of knew where it came from and i knew where it was getting at politically without implying specific enemies or bad guys uh, by name why is why is it okay to represent conflict in such a officially pro u.s military way like in that game and you can't mention the the bad guys anymore. Uh, it it seems like a double standard. It completely seems like a double standard to me. No, and Gary, that that game is a is a great example too, because it's especially from you know I, I, I come I come back to this concept of educating a player through a game. Um, the, the the just the gameplay style of that particular game because it was a little bit hands off. If I recall, you you weren't actually pulling the trigger per se. You were almost an omnipotent force that was instructing your fire team what to do. Yeah. Um, that would have been, to me, the perfect opportunity for a developer to actually address real, real world conflict because it was somewhat hands off um, in almost a strategy game sort of way. Um, I think that people would have had a bit less of a problem with that game having t- taken place actually in Iraq or taking place in Afghanistan. I can't it, – it took place in some ridiculous fictional place. I, so they just <laughs> went with some caricature setting. They did and there was a, an evil mastermind similar to Saddam Hussein I think that ah. you were trying to take out at the end. Uh, so we're so, back to the, the madman with the rocket launcher on top of a church. Precisely. Um, the, the only good news for that particular game was that they waited a lot longer to introduce the madman. So <laughs> for, for, for two thirds of the game, it was spectacular. And then, uh, yeah, they had the car chase scene and it all went downhill from there. But, uh, yeah, that, that game to me was the perfect missed opportunity for, for this sort of, uh, a move by a developer to actually show a modern conflict in a video game. And, and show both sides in sort of a, a neutral light. Um, you know, that, that is an interesting question. We see documentaries, we see movies that show either documentarian restraint or in some cases sympathy for uh, forces that uh, one's affiliation or uh, ethical orientation or belief system would hold as evil or wrong. 
with video games, now we have uh, a defense minister who is calling for its uh, 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 prevention, its, its preclusion from retail sale. It seems some of this could go back to the whole video games are art argument that I've seen around. Because there might not be people who view that a video game can reach that level of portrayal as opposed to a documentary or such. Or is it that the people don't want to think that video games have the right to tackle such a uh, emotive and current subject? It's like this is something for um, for film, for documentaries to cover, but not for games. You you can't have anything to do with this yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's this belief and, that, that that a video game automatically trivializes something. Yeah. yeah. I I also sort of wonder if. Uh, you know, a lot of this just boils down to financials, that the film industry is established enough that, great, if they can't get the full support of the U.S. military or of certain, you know, funders, there are other people who will pay for the funding of their product. Whereas video games, I don't know if they're looked at as, you know, as solid an investment by by independent investors yet. So, Getting the millions of dollars it requires to produce one of these games, the tens or even the hundreds of millions of dollars it requires to make one of these games, um, really it forces developers to play by very strict rules. Mm. And one of those but, rules is keeping conflict very much black and white with no gray in between. Mm. But I mean, you could argue that. Uh, EA knew what they were getting into uh, with Medal of Honor. I mean, this is a reboot of a franchise that's been gone for quite a few years and setting it in, you know, Afghanistan based on events currently happening, you know, is clearly a, a grab for headlines and sales. Uh, I mean, what do you guys think about that? Well, we've certainly seen some use of controversy as a marketing tactic. Dante's Inferno, perhaps? Yeah, just a bit. Was, was that Electronic Arts as well, Heather? Do you recall? Um, I think it was. Yeah. Yep. I believe it was, yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, Medal of Honor is coming in now and, you know, uh, Call of Duty and Battlefield are so established as like the big two modern warfare kind of shooters. Um, and, yeah, I, I, it it just seems weird to come back. I mean, um, Medal of Honor, if I'm not wrong, has always been like a World War II series only um so it you know they I've, i kind of think that ea knew what they were going for and sort of should have anticipated you know this sort of response that they've been getting from certain people i think i'm more concerned about the fact that they uh, turned around and changed the name of it yeah i actually would have preferred if they um stuck to it i mean you, mm. it just looks like they used it as you say, for a very quick um, mainstream media publicity storm. And once it's got the attention, I mean, everybody knows that Medal of Honor's there now. It's not just modern warfare on the market for people to pick up. Mm. Now people know the name again. Now they're trying to tone it down. Um, I think if they, had, if they were trying to make some kind of statement by including, uh, by using the name The Taliban, then they should have stuck to it. Yeah. You can't throw names like that around for True. publicity. And, I think that it, will upset people more if that if if they stuck to it 
and people see the final product and say, no, this was, and if they had genuine intent to explore a conflict, to be honest, a conflict that people are still very confused about. And there hasn't been a lot of transparency in how it's been reported internationally. Mm. Could this be a way of getting not so much a message, but at least get some awareness of a situation that, say, if there's your average Joe who's playing that game, he might not really know anything about it. The whole conflict, the reasons. This could have been a, a tool to educate those people on that. Yeah. I know. I think people would have respected that more rather than using it for a quick stir the pot, get on the news, then change your mind and keep everything safe again. And at this point, at this rate, by release day, it could be, uh, my, this arid mountainous country seems like Afghanistan, <laughs> but I assure you it is not. And, <laughs> and, and you the have your, and wink. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Your, 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 your first person shooter with modern weapons, uh, is, uh, is just as, as the others uh, are. So the bottom line, interesting, uh, salient on the part of EA, but perhaps for the wrong reasons, do we see anything like what Ed aspires to, um, what he hopes for in the near future, uh, on one hand by major developer, or do you think it'll have to be, uh, some, some indie developer with perhaps, uh, more, uh, focused, dedicated, uh, documentarian or, uh, historical motivations? I think well, the idea is wonderful, but I can't see anybody being brave enough to do it. Look what happened to that. Was it a Konami-backed game? Oh, uh, Fallujah. Sixes and Fallujah. Yeah. Yeah. They dropped that like a hot potato as soon as people took notice. James, what do you think? Um, I still think... I mean, no, Medal of Honor's not out yet. Um, I don't think anybody's... I think people are just getting review copies now at the uh, bigger media outlets. So we don't know for certain what is going to be in the single-player campaign in its entirety. So there is a chance they might try to... Uh, enlighten you know some more of the ignorant gamers of the real problems and you know the meaning behind the conflict itself but yeah like Gary was saying the last one that you know straight out wanted to address those issues was uh, dropped I think they are still looking for a publisher the, the game's sort of in limbo if I understand I, it right they can't uh, keep funding that for much longer it's been a, mm. a year or more they haven't had a publisher that's mm. got to be dead yeah but um, we'll see I mean a gaming needs to get something we didn't touch on that we mentioned earlier that gaming needs to get out or, or video games in general need to get out of um, this kind of uh, position as like uh, the world's scapegoat uh, medium of entertainment. Um, you know, like we were saying before, films and documentaries and television shows, they've covered these real world events and uh, don't garner n nowhere near this level of controversy over something like this. So maybe as we see society you know understanding more of what video games are and that the multiplayer part of the game was you know again like you're saying free of context maybe eventually we'll see something uh, of that caliber we're going to go a little closer to home and talk about what we've been playing heather let's start with you all right now that i can stop laughing 
I've been playing Eve quite a bit still, and I've been playing Halo Reach, along with a little bit of uh, Thief Deadly Shadows. Steam sales are my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've been having fun with Eve, though. Getting war decked for seven weeks in a row got a little tiresome. It's when other players spend a specific amount of is to declare war on your corporation and have kill rights on you in high sec. Now, you're part of a corporation, correct? Which is like yes. a, which is like a guild. Is your is your guild currently at war with a specific corporation, or do you just mix it up with any other group of players? It's with. A specific corporation that will declare war on your corporation. So generally. it's it's kind of like uh, Hatfields and McCoys, your your two families in a feud. Well, it doesn't have to be mutual either. So you guys are defending yourselves against this other corporation that is that is uh, placed prices on your heads, so to speak. Essentially, yes. And this is enjoyable. Ah, uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it gets a little irksome. Our CEO had some a bunch of real life stuff to take care of, so that was a bit more problematic because we didn't have the leadership around either. Perfect time to attack. <laughs> exactly. Hit them while they're down. <laughs> uh, perhaps, but so that it, does just sound like internet bullying to me. I'm not <laughs> a big I'm not a big PvP fan in online games anyway. But yeah, to have somebody essentially buy the rights to legally take you down just it doesn't sound like fun to me well there are different ways you can certainly fight back and there are mercenary corps you can hire to beat down the people who are trying to attack you which is also an option do the corporations have to be uh, a similar size or rank to declare war or could somebody just say those guys are small and new i'm gonna smash them you can do that if you wish, yes. There are some uh, cost concerns. If you're declaring war on an alliance, it's more expensive and so on. But Does that prevent the creation of, of guilds, or in this case corporations? Can you, be, can you be flattened, stomped, before you really gain any kind of momentum? Uh, I can see it happening in some cases. Depends. I mean, there are obviously ways to avoid people. Who would war deck you? You can move to a different system, potentially move to a wormhole. So but it really is to... elaborate galactic bullying and ganking. Politics. Politics. <laughs> Which, the same thing, right? Uh, somewhat. Which is kind of one reason why people are somewhat excited about CCP and their new World of Darkness MMO that they've had some slight announcements about. Yeah, back at uh, PAX East, they uh, only hinted at it. They uh, really weren't able to say a darn thing yet. And I, it's sort of been in that that state for a long time, it seems. I, I can remember there being rumors of the CCP World of Darkness MMO for, well, basically since the news came that they had bought the rights to it, but nothing else since then. Well, there was a video that was released online. They, I haven't seen a high-fidelity version of it, but... It's going to be Old World of Darkness, Vampire the Masquerade, apparently. So that's got people excited. Certainly a rich setting. I'll, I'll, I'll give them that. Yeah. yeah. 
Except for the RPers. Uh, Heather, anything more about the crossover console game? The Dust? I haven't yeah. seen any new releases on that, no. Okay. Though, should be interesting at that point. They're certainly trying to tweak the planetary interaction, which is going to be related to that with the incursion. So I'm thinking if there's over. Uh-huh. If there's any shooter that I that I really would be looking forward to, it would be one built by uh, CCP. So James, tell us what you've been playing lately. Um currently I'm well, I've just finished playing Enslaved Odyssey to the West. That's the full title, I think. Um for a review for the site. Um not sure how much I can say because it will spoil the uh, review when it comes out. Um, but uh, it's it's by Ninja Theory, the the British team behind uh, Heavenly Sword, the PS3 exclusive that I think was a launch game for the PlayStation 3. Um, so it's it's got quite a good pedigree. Um, the production values are, are very good. Um, they hired uh, Alex Garland, who's a Hollywood screenwriter. He's uh, worked on things like 28 Days Later. Um, so the and they've also brought in Andy Serkis, who's better known as Gollum, uh, to do like motion capture and voices for the main character Monkey. So it's definitely very cinematic, uh, good to look at. But gameplay-wise, it's kind of a bit middle of the road. Um, it's sort of falls somewhere between like Prince of Persia uh, when it comes to moving around the game world um, and the combat is is very simple it's hard to describe something in between say like uh, a fable <clears throat> like halfway between like a fable and a, a Ninja Gaiden just uh, very action-y quite straightforward um, so yeah, I won't reveal my score or anything so far, but uh, any of you guys interested in that or had had your eye well, on it? Well, I, I definitely had my eye on it because I loved, loved Ninja Theory's work on Heavenly Sword. And I sort of would probably say the same thing that you just did, that gameplay-wise, there wasn't too much to get excited about about Heavenly Sword, but the way that they were able to combine you know, story with gameplay, I have never seen... Uh, a developer do th- do that that well on console. Um, I think the only the the only comparison I could probably make was the the way the story would unfold in a a, a team eco game. You know, the makers of Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, but those games yeah. are of a different nature too because there's no there's no real narrative in those games. There's no dialogue. There's no scripting. Mm. Uh, Heavenly Sword just worked together cutscene and cinematic with gameplay so well you ne- you never felt the urge to skip through things because everything was the perfect length and the quality was so good um i'm i'm excited to play uh enslaved for that reason yeah yeah i mean i mean the um the pacing is is so good it's very focused um the hollywood influence definitely shows like you're never doing something not related to the plot uh, furthering the story of a monkey and trip who's like the sort of female companion that's um enslaved him to basically help her out um but yeah that's most reviews have uh, praised that aspect of it um 
But yeah, it's it's not that long a game though. I'm not sure. I never played Heavenly Sword, so I'm not sure how long that clocked in at. But uh, this one's quite short for you know if you go out and purchase it for full price, and there's not much incentive to re replay. So uh, in my review, um, I'm basically going to say at some point it's like the perfect rental game. You'll get uh, you know maybe two uh, evenings of uh, perfectly good fun, but you know, you probably won't want to replay it, especially not straight away. So that's a yeah. shame for a, a game that obviously had such a huge budget. Yeah, uh, but, but even for a, a huge budget, I mean, the, it's the cast is very, very small. Like, there's only three main characters who have any decent amount of dialogue. I mean, it's set in a post-apocalyptic future, so there's obviously not many people around. It's mostly filled by these killer robots um so yeah it's it's i mean all the money has gone into the visuals um just not so much the gameplay uh which is a little bit of a shame um hmm. anyway uh yeah review coming for that soon to uh gameandplayer.net um uh, <laughs> stay tuned <laughs> um a lot of Halo Reach. Uh, uh, maybe Heather can chime in on that. Uh, obviously, the um, I did the review for GameAndPlayer.net for that as well, uh, a week or so back. Um, and yeah, I mean the the thing I keep coming back to is the daily challenges and this uh, the credit system. I mean, I used to log into Halo, you know, most days to have a few a few goes on it, but now you've got this um, persistent reward system going on it's just even more addictive to hop on and uh, accomplish a few of these uh, challenges every day yes though sometimes it's like I am not going to even try because I looked on Bungie.net and I don't want to try getting through winter contingency on legendary without dying yeah, yeah. you've got to <laughs> choose your your battles so to speak but yeah I mean the bonus at EXP is is very good um, for just doing the daily challenges so Bungie really has uh, done a good job with the longevity of its Halo games. I think it probably, yeah. probably missed the mark on, um, what was it called, uh, Bungie.net Pro, whatever it was, that, that yeah. uh, uh, a sliding scale online storage space uh, little scheme. Mm. I'm sure there were some adopters, but it didn't seem to be anything uh, uh, of, a, of a big sort. But at the same time, it augmented one of Bungie's fantastic ideas, which was the sharing and creation of media on the individual level, and yeah. uh, combined with the, the the multitude of of achievements and other little mm. curiosities, they really do have a, a nice game. Going to ask uh, you and anyone else who's played Halo real quick, um, where do you guys fall on the the campaign? Uh, it's been the most divisive part of uh, Reach in the reviews, and I was a little bit down on it. So I'd be interested to. Hey, what you guys think if you've uh, played through the campaign? Personally, I thought it was the best uh, Bungie campaign since the original Halo. Okay. Um, which uh, I, I know that uh, a lot of people aren't fans of the uh, machismo of a lot of the storylines like this. Like, uh, I, I actually, in certain ways, liken this campaign to the single-player campaign in uh, Gears of War, which I actually liked quite a bit. Um, yeah, I thought that the uh, the idea of running around with 
some pretty badass uh, NPCs, you know, the the, the other uh, uh, Spartans was a nice touch. They, uh, con- they 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 actually contributed somewhat. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I liked it immensely. Okay. I enjoyed it myself. Of course, I also went with a female Noble Six, which removes some of the slight, you know, cliched male super soldier marine type running around, which it's been th- Was there the romance? <laughs> no, this is it's not Mass Effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh. I did enjoy the campaign, though at times it seemed slightly disjointed because there wasn't as much of an overarching objective as there yeah. was with games. I, without spoiling much, well, I'm not sure if we're allowed to go into spoilers or should go into spoilers, but didn't think it tied into Halo Combat Evolved in a, you know, a, in a way that I thought was satisfying. Um, seemed a bit, a little bit cheap. Um, I can't, uh, what, are we allowed to go into specifics now or do you think we're going to spoil it for anyone? But uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I haven't played Bridge yet. I haven't played it either, but... Oh, okay. Well, I will say that... Um, where was I going with this? Oh, I thought for like... Cause, because this one is like Bungie's send-off to the Halo franchise, the last game they're working on before they go multi-format. Um, I thought Halo 3 felt more like a, a goodbye um, kind of message. Uh, the end of the campaign in Halo 3 just felt much more fitting um, than this one. Uh yeah, that's all I got to say in reach. Personally, it felt much more satisfying with the end when I realized that there was another component to the ending that I had mm. missed because I had played it with scoring on, and it doesn't show apparently if you uh, have team scoring on it. Uh, okay. So that ending made me want to go back and play the first game again. So, Ed, what have you been doing? Well, uh, I am still absolutely addicted to uh, Modern Warfare 2. Um, I'm your fellow my, junkie. Indeed, indeed. My obsession with uh, trying to have the highest accuracy of all my friends uh, by at least three percentage points continues. And uh, who's, who's gaining <laughs> on you? Uh, you? You are, Mike. You are gaining. Uh, yeah, there are a handful of other people that are... Uh, are on the list. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not actually this big a stats junkie. I don't know why this has been such an obsession for me. But, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I have not been playing that many other games, honestly. I, the, the game feels fresh for me again because uh, I recently fixed my Xbox Live headset woes for the last, uh, gosh, year and a half almost. Uh, for whatever reason, my audio would just drop off inexplicably on Xbox Live. I don't know why. But, and, um, and it actually became progressively funnier as your frustration was conveyed intermittently by this malfunctioning unit. So essentially, you'd hear from Ed, God, son of a... B- <laughs> this stupid... F- <laughs> you see, and you don't even need to censor it because that's how it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do not understand why uh, Xbox Live has been so problematic for me. I don't know if it's my voice and, uh, you know, I, for whatever reason, Microsoft confuses me with uh, background noise. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I don't get it. But, uh, yes, folks, if you're having the same problem, all you need to do is throw hundreds of dollars at it <laughs> and uh, buy an overpriced PC headset. And you, too, can talk to your friends on Xbox Live again. Um, 
Yeah, other than that, I think I've uh, I've been dabbling a little bit more with uh, iPhone games. Um, trying to think of anything in particular that I've been spending a lot of time with. Um, yeah, I got back into uh, World of Warcraft a little bit, just trying to clear a few achievements before uh, the world is torn asunder by Cataclysm. Uh, but yeah, my, my focus really has been uh, online multiplayer in uh, Modern Warfare 2. Yeah, I'd have to say... Ed, that I'm kind of parallel to you. I've been spending a lot of time on uh, Modern Warfare 2. Again, it's a it's a fun afternoon or late evening game. Just a few rounds. I like to play Deathmatch when I'm with uh, you and uh, Anthony and anybody else. But alone, I'd love to just uh, lurk and come and go in lobbies of the, uh, the Search and Destroy map type, which is a no respawn, find bomb and deliver bomb or defend against bomb placement game type. Just just tons of fun. Though your accuracy won't be raised at quite the speed as it will in deathmatch, just so you know. It won't, although <laughs> on the levels where I get to use the sniper rifle, uh, it, it goes up uh, exponentially. Um, I have also continued to play the World of Warcraft beta and the uh, guild that I uh, play with on World of Warcraft Live has uh, begun progression uh, runs through uh, Ice Crown Citadel heroic settings, and we're slowly grinding through those. It's just a lot of fun. I also lead a 10-man raid group on Saturdays. Um, it's uh, uh, mostly made up of alternate characters, basically secondary characters with uh, lesser gear and uh, having people who are taking different roles than they're used to normally. Just a good... Uh, Good time spent on a on a weekend, early afternoon, and of course the the progression runs are with the the twenty five man group, which is the whole of the guild, basically the active guild, and it's just kind of like a big party. We're we're serious, but at the same time we have a lot of fun, just a lot of nice social interactions there. You always were a good aid leader, from what I remember as well. Well, I th- I think I distinguished myself by actually understanding the fights and having the ability to explain them very quickly and very succinctly. And actually, one thing that I notice, not to get too much off onto shop talk here, but uh, this actually does have applications when you're working with team games. Um, I was actually explaining a mechanic, and someone said, well, why don't you just say, do this, and leave it at that? Well, I like to tell people why things are happening, because then they understand the mechanic, and once they understand the underlying principle, if the encounter doesn't go exactly as planned and plan A doesn't work, then they can improvise a plan B because they know why uh, why mechanics are, are occurring and what they can do to overcome them without following this prescribed strategy. And I think the other thing is that I, that I keep a cool head and I don't uh, curse and swear and and uh uh nerd rage yeah well there's some people that that are just a little bit excitable and unfortunately that does affect the group it it affects morale when when the leader is getting hot under the collar when he gets impatient for really no good reason or or really gets visibly uh agitated uh it, it it makes people uncomfortable and they and they start to focus on that and and become sidelined by that uh rather than somebody who uh, shows very, very proportionate uh, 
reaction. Um, Why is nobody pushing? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was say, as, as strange as it sounds, you need social skills to play these video games. Oh, yeah, you it's do. Really <laughs> Indeed. So many people forget about that. Yeah, no, uh, we actually had an incident with uh, a recruit. Um, we, uh, I brought him along. And it turns out that he's 65 years old, but we had some we had some major and he was like at a bed, bed and breakfast and probably had a dozen distractions that were preventing him from playing the game properly. But he had a hard time communicating and it, it got to the point where myself and uh, one of the guild leaders who was like an assistant raid leader, kind of a kind of a, a senior presence in the raid, uh, were on the verge of kicking him um, and removing him from the raid uh, because his behavior was odd. But most of all, he wasn't telling us why he was doing what he was doing. Uh, communication, clear communication, and like you said, Gary, uh, uh, social skills, the, the ability to to uh, convey your feelings and. Uh, uh, intentions in a in a uh, uh, normalized way is paramount. You need to you need to know about life to be able to play this <laughs> false life. And I, I would say that the only uh, uh, other issue uh, is the release of Cataclysm, which has been dated for December seventh. And as usual, I guess that's uh, uh, the nature of the beast. Um, based on the beta. The expansion is still very much in a state of disarray. Uh, there's there's hope that Blizzard will get uh, get things uh, tied up by uh, by launch day. They don't they don't give release dates that they can't meet. That's the thing about ever. Blizzard, yeah. Uh, and then that that is made uh, their their two uh, uh, pre pre announcement announcements or their promises, I guess, statements, concurrent statements um, about releasing in 2010, no matter what. So remarkable because, as we all know, Blizzard is one of those companies that says we will release this game when it's ready, and they could wait months or even years before they believe that it is prepared uh, for for the public. So somehow, somehow they're going to make it work, um, but they're they're just a lot of loose ends that they'll need to tie up. That should be as interesting as it may be frustrating in the short term. Those. Two subjects essentially tie into exactly what I've been playing. Yeah, why don't you? Might as well start off with the Blizzard game. Um, complete change of pace for me. Um, I don't know when it happened, but I've suddenly become a PC gamer and not a console gamer. And most recently, I got into a genre I've never touched before, had no interest in, interest in, and not because I found it scary, because I thought. Fighting battles um, from an isometric view, clicking away on a mouse, isn't my idea of fun. Yet somehow I got completely addicted to StarCraft II. I'm not particularly fond of the fiction, the art style, but the competitive nature of the ladder matches, I, I find fascinating. I absolutely can't get enough of it. What's um, your favorite race? I play Terran, just like everybody else. Apparently they're overpowered. <laughs> I can't play Terran. <laughs> yeah, what a shock. Um, I have been branching out a little. I'm starting my uh, Protoss 101 course and becoming one with the Void. And 
trying desperately to learn how to play that. I can't be doing with Zerg. That's their tech tree is far too complicated for me. Yeah, big dumb console gamer. I can't handle the uh, the amount of units that they have. But um, I find Protoss far more interesting than Terran. But I think the naming conventions of the Terran race help so much. I can. It's cowboys in space. Everybody knows what they are, what they're about. Their um, their tech levels don't have anything uh, massively out there or complicated. Um, so it's nice and simple for a beginner. Um, um, as much of a beginner as you could possibly get to that game. Um, had no interest in the original. Avoided it for 12 years or whatever it was. Um, didn't bother playing the campaign. Played the first couple of missions, and despite most people's reaction to it, I don't think it was very good. the The story was pretty flat. I, I don't care about Jim Rayner. I don't care about his girlfriend or his big friend Tychus. Um, not into it. Um, thought I'll try some of the challenges, learn something, beat a couple of those. Played a couple of games against the computer AI, steamrolled it, and then thought. All right, I'll take it online. This is what I'm here for is the competitive side of it. That's To me, that's StarCraft. That's when you hear people talking about Brood War, no one ever talks about the storyline, really. It's all about that yeah, the frenetic, like, APM, the strategies. And that's the kind of thing that it made me want to get into it, that I felt like I was missing something, uh, missing out on something. Um so yeah, dived just straight into the online, skipped my practice matches, didn't bother with them, went straight to my placement matches uh, and got hammered, ended up in bottom of a bronze league. <gasps> yeah, I didn't know what I was doing, but I'm still taking these people on. It's like, it'll come good eventually. I beat the AI three times. Um, no, and it, after losing about 12 games in a row, I thought, I actually have to figure out what a build order is oh yeah i didn't even i didn't even know what that is that's how much of a noob i am to this genre um did some studying online which is the other thing that i like about the game it has a definite learning process it's i I like a game that encourages you to learn on your own essentially find out what works and Try new things, have a poke at the enemy. If it doesn't come off, you can revert to something else. Um, but I'm finally getting it. I'm fairly comfortable with it. I've been, I'm at the top of my league, still bronze because of the horrific run of losses I had. But um, beating some silver and gold players, uh, which I was ecstatic with. So, because I like winning. What, I'm, what surprises me is how resilient you were to multiple losses um i i actually uh, i played starcraft way back in the day and gosh with a with a 10 100 or was it a 110 modem in my uh <laughs> in my college dorm room i would get online and play against other players and it was such a shock to see how standardized the game is it's 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 like it's like any sport practically there are tactics and strategies it is an a, an eSport. I hate the term. Um, I always find that embarrassing um, as a real-life sports fan, especially. But um, I've been... 
I have a subscription to Gum TV now. That's how much I'm into it. <clears throat> I watch all the, the vodcasts, all kinds of things, because I'm really getting into it, and I'm getting to know the players and the the sort of the lexicon, the terminology that they have for it, like uh, like six pull, three racks, one 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 build. It's it's absolutely fascinating to me. Yeah, you have a subculture and uh, and a language and uh, these the, these descriptions that uh, it's, it's almost like chess, for goodness sake. Yep. Um, the other game I've been playing, um, which I never want to compare the two ever again, but coming from you speaking about the World of Warcraft Cataclysm beta, I've been playing Final Fantasy XIV, um, having a very mixed reaction to it not to the extremes that the the press and community around it have had but it's both been entertaining and massively disappointing um when it was announced that it was forthcoming well coming soon um at a3 uh, a couple of years back that was my big announcement of the show i didn't care after that whatever else comes out yeah yeah that's fine but my big news and they square and XMMOs on in the way. Um, as a long-term Final Fantasy XI player, I particularly was looking forward to it. Um, mainly because they clearly tried to retain elements from Final Fantasy XI that would make players of that game instantly comfortable and drawn towards it. Like The, the character races are updated uh, versions of the races from 11. No variation, <clears throat> excuse me, no variation at all. They're more refined by far, um, but they're essentially the same. Um, so that immediately gives you the draw, like I'm familiar with this as an 11 player. And they promise um, this, they promise the game will have content suitable for more casual gamers and solo players. Um, you couldn't do anything in Final Fantasy XI on your own. Even the most simple tasks, um, even down to gaining experience points and leveling up, you can't do it on your own. Um, Not at all, no. For some, the majority of people, that was a, a big turn-off. But for people like myself, uh, the really strong following that Eleven had, that what made the game great the camaraderie cooperation the fact that well every in every mmo where there's loot you have your own personal interest things like i want to get this i want this dungeon finished for myself but because of the the need to cooperate and the reliance on other people that you have in 11 they your comrades are just as invested in you getting the item as they were getting their own. And that, I, all I wanted, I didn't want the same game, but I wanted that sense of a collective goal and a shared, shared purpose for playing the game. Now, my big problem with 14 isn't the things you'll probably hear about or read about online. Most people have a problem with the fact that there's no auction house system. It's a big problem, no doubt. Um, the fact that the player search functions aren't really what they should be. 
my issue with it is that they failed completely to balance solo play and group play and uh, casual content and deeper mechanical, um, the deeper mechanics of the game, which is, as you were saying for World of Warcraft, something that Final Fantasy XI had, for me personally, more than any other MMO, the positional the nature of positional tanks and damage dealers, the hate mechanics and enmity mechanics between party members and damage dealers, I thought was unrivaled. It's pretty obs- obscure. You'd have to study to understand this stuff. Nothing's given to you for free, but it's there if you're willing to stick with it long enough. This game doesn't have that at all. It feels very... If you group up, there's no uh, real party mechanic. It's the, the job system's great, Anybody can pick, be any class that they want by simply charging a weapon. If you have an axe, you're a warrior. If you want to be uh, a more traditional tank type, put, just grab a sword and a, sword and a shield, instant change. But it's all meaningless. Essentially, the, the only tactic that seems to work now is if all either two to 16 players you can have in a single party, just rush the enemy. No position, no tactics. It's all very mindless and meaningless. See, now that I would find depressing. One of the one of the aspects yeah. I love about World of Warcraft, uh, in terms of the dungeons, is that they're they're not so much about battles as much as they're about choreography. You have to do these uh, these these impractical things uh, in in a fictional sense because mm. they're they're required of the encounter. You you have to move over to this section. You have to you have to do this to to this other person or stay this specified uh, distance from others. That to me is the what the the essence of MMO gaming should be. Mm-hmm. That's real cooperation. Exactly. In ach- achieving a goal, it's surely what should separate that genre from playing an offline RPG. When you remove that. I, that's the thing. I don't see the point right now in that being an MMO. It it would work pretty much as well as an offline game. Most people are soloing the content. And due to certain bugs with the communication system, there has been a patch in the last couple of days which have ironed some of those things out. But the the chat window is pretty much completely ineffective. And in a game where you're playing with players from all over the world at the same time, there's no regional servers. That's another fantastic thing that Eleven did. Uh, the game had its own unique culture because of that. There is, It doesn't have that culture. People aren't speaking. They're not interacting with each other. Everybody's very concerned with getting a head start financially, economically, um, in terms of levels. It's like when everybody... To me, the first thing you should feel like doing when you're in this brand new world is have an explore, see these fantastical lands or whatever, Have really get a feel for the place. The first thing 90% of the players seemed to do was start crafting. Non-stop. Non-stop. Because they were very concerned with not having enough money. Hmm. Do you think it's... Uh, that's sad. 
it's a facet of growing pains that, that after a while the the community will will settle and you will have something a little bit more uh reminiscent i think i think if that's one of the things with mmos again is that in time the the social norms and systems of how they operate the player base essentially constructs them themselves mm-hmm. um but there's too yeah. many vagaries in Final Fantasy XIV that were acceptable at the time of eleven. Um, that people don't know what to do, and I'm not talking about how like, well, I, I got lost on the map and the NPC didn't tell me where to go. More of how they should behave. What is a social norm here? Nobody, there is no interaction at the moment in time. I think with a little bit of signposting and some more stronger creative uh, decisions by the developers, that can happen. The fundamentals of the game are very good. The basic structure, the storyline looks like it, it could be particularly good. You have the three very different starting nations with their own separate storyline, which will eventually converge into one larger overarching story um if it's anything like 11 that storyline went over four expansions spanning 25 years of history of this world it was deep and it had all of the the characters and the the flash and dazzle that people love about final fantasy games here's an interesting closing thought on on mores within the game and and i'll open it up to all of us because something similar has been developing in World of Warcraft, and it may have been uh, uh, even even more greatly facilitated by uh, the introduction of certain game features. Do we think that perhaps the last five, six years of automated multiplayer has had an effect on the kind of uh, the kind of mutual need uh, uh, that players have had in MMOs. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm thinking to uh, just raid content and uh, dungeons in World of Warcraft. Going through uh, earlier content from the original game, I found it mind-boggling that some of these dungeons would take, you know, a full, fully fleshed out party three hours to complete. Uh, I mean, I I can't dedicate three straight hours to just about any pastime, you know, on any given week, let alone, you know, an, uh, a massively multiplayer online game. I just don't have enough hours in the day to do it. So for me, I appreciate the move towards, uh, you know, shorter, shorter instance length, um, you know, making it easier for more casual players to hop in. But that's definitely going to be to the detriment of players who enjoyed the deep mechanics of some of these monstrous dungeons um, or, or even just encounter mechanics, which you were forced to learn and study when uh, it was expected you put in the time. A lot of that's disappeared, I think, from, from a lot of these games. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Ed in that it does seem to reduce some of the complexity of it, but it is much more convenient to not have to log on and spend several hours in SSC or something like that. And 
to have it makes it a little easier to set up your own connections because you aren't just looking for those precise people I need to fill out the 25 man raid group for this exact raid and we need raid to resist and everything along those lines and that's that's where the MMO genre should be is where if you don't have three hours a day to dedicate to it you can hop in and get something achieved that satisfies you for your relative time investment compared to people who can sit there and play for 10 hours a day that's what this game this is the the major issue with Final Fantasy 14 is that it it tries to please everybody and misses both ends of the spectrum the 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 content that would normally be inviting to somebody who can only play an hour here or there things like crafting have become the obsession of people who should be going out and finding the higher level boss characters and really grinding heavily. They're not doing that. They're flooding the more uh, casual aspects of it because it, it's it's not defined enough. And all it all it will take is some time, uh, a couple of patches, redesign, a couple of uh, a couple of the systems that need work. But the truth of the matter is is that people... <clears throat> excuse me. There are MMO games which have been established for a long time and have got everything right now that people can just dive into and have that experience fleshed out. They're not going to wait for Square to finish the game. Not now. Precisely. Yeah, the one game I found that Dungeons and Dragons Online tends to do pretty well with the social stuff just because a lot of the game is designed around group activities. So I'm pretty pleased with how that works out, but I know some people consider it a bit too social even for their taste. Casual and hardcore. Now when it comes to hardcore, uh, there's a developer who is probably as... Uh, core and hard as they come, and that's Peter Molyneux. James, you were present at uh, one of Peter's uh, uh, little sermons about uh, game development and his latest rapture, Fable 3. You should tell us a little bit about that. Nice imagery going on there, Mike. Uh, uh, well, just to uh, set the scene for people, this was at the uh, Eurogamer Expo 2010 Um an event that's held annually in the United Kingdom as part of the London Games Festival. And it's basically a, I want to say trade show, but it's traditionally not been really for press. It's been for the public to come down. The The entry fee is, is very small. It's only £5 um, for the public. And they can try out uh, a lot of games that aren't out yet or are coming out uh, this Christmas. Um, but increasingly in the last few years, it's, it's been getting bigger and bigger. Uh, this year was their biggest um, showing. They held it at Earl's Court in London, which is uh, known for holding like sports events and concerts. So to give you an indication of how big it's gotten. Um, and every year they hold uh, developer conferences or developer sessions, as they call them, um, and we usually have a few big names come down and uh, 
preach to the choir, I guess, to continue your uh, <laughs> your imagery there. Um, and so Peter Molyneux was uh, probably the highest profile guest this time. Um, we got, on the second day, uh, Yuji Naka, formerly of Sega and Sonic Team, creator of Sonic the Hedgehog, was there um, promoting his new game. But uh, Molyneux's session, which I sat in on, um, was basically a journey through the Fable franchise, um, where their inspirations uh, came from, uh, a brief history of who helped develop the key aspects. Um, and uh, Molyneux basically made the point of showing and specifying certain films and pieces of folklore that inspired elements of the Fable series. Um, there wasn't much talk on Fable 3 um, other than like an, sort of an intro and outro piece uh, which may or may not have been a new exclusive gameplay uh, video. Um, but yeah, it's very straightforward. I mean, uh, he also unveiled right at the end uh, a new app for smartphones that will tie into the Fable 3 when that comes out, um, which is quite interesting. Um, yeah, uh, not really any particular revelations about Fable 3. He was just going back over old ground. Um, but some of the, the examples he used were, were kind of eye-opening and interesting. Uh, he used uh, Mad Max 2 as a... Uh, he cited that as the inspiration for the dog mechanic in Fable uh. 2. Um which I am not being not familiar with Mad Max myself, that kind of sounds completely crazy. But when he, you know, went into the role of the dog in in the film and showed us a, a clip, um, it definitely started to make more sense. Um, when he took uh, another example was uh, Kill Bill, uh, which uh, you know it sounds even more wackier. But he he said the the combat in the the that film, well, both those films were sort of inspired what they wanted to. Bring across in fables, uh, all the fabled games. It's combat. Uh, it's kind of really flashy and cinematic, but really simple to to use. Um, those were the two sort of uh, examples I highlighted in my uh, write-up for Molyneux's uh, session. Available at GameAndPlayer.net, of course. Why am I the only one doing any plugging? Um, but um, yeah, I mean, he talked about a little bit about the kind of regrets and mistakes that he he felt he had with the series so far as well. Um, yeah, one, that's something I've always my association whenever I hear hear or see a new story with Peter Molyneux's name, and I think what overblown grandiose statement is coming now that his games will miserably fail to capitalize on. That's all <laughs> I see. He seems like I understand why people like him. He's mm. he seems so into the he, he has sort of this you can see this sort of uh, wacky professor thing about him <laughs> combined with the eccentric uncle uh, he really <laughs> believes he really believes in what he does but yeah. he's kind I of like the, think... uh, the 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 pied piper if the pied piper responded to mm. his own tune yeah that's <laughs> the thing I don't think anybody who works for him is playing the same tune. Mm. Well, I think, I don't know, personally, I think that opinion, I mean, it's quite a popular one. It's a little bit unfair 
in especially in recent years. I mean, the first time, really only time I can point to when uh, he did kind of get a bit ahead of himself was I think he called the original Fable before that came out like the greatest role playing game of all time or something, which you know can't get um, much more overhyped than that. Um, <laughs> uh, real human affection for the dog in Fable 2. Uh, I seem to remember something about that where I kind of felt more for my short time with Dogmate in Fallout 3 before he got exed um, by some space mutants. Yeah, I, I mean, he basically admitted to have it, you know, regretting saying that about Fable 1 and from then on, I don't know whether it was the, uh, you know, response from the PR to try and rein him in on these uh, when he goes out to talk to the press and things like that. But um, yeah, I he... hope he, I hope he gets it right. I really, I, I'm not a fan of the series, but I hope Fable Three is everything that I think mm. the people who followed that series, I think they deserve it. I, th- I think they I... really deserve a special game. Well, I think Fable 2 pretty much met expectations again because he sort of reeled, reeled himself in and uh, didn't get too carried away. Though um, he did say that uh, Fable 3 will be the best Fable ever. Yeah, I mean, it was actually... It could be, though. I mean, I didn't play much of 1, but 2 was... Did you I see think, the light, James? Did you see the uh, light? <laughs> yes, he's converted me. No, uh, We believe... Uh, but Fable 3 was actually on the show floor. Um, I didn't sit down and play with it, but I watched uh, a good part of it being played. Um, what the, the snippets they were showing didn't look all that much different from Fable 2 on the surface. I mean, uh, he's been saying but there's going to be this whole revolution thing to the game where you, you start off as just like, you know, the brother of the king who's in, in power and the the current king is completely corrupt and over the course of the game you're going to uh overthrow him and there's going to be this sort of promise system where you know you've promised all these things to the citizens and if you don't deliver you know you're going to get a different reaction to the population and the world is going to change because of these decisions that you can make that sounds so familiar kind of micromanagement thing going on maybe but yeah you couldn't really get a sense from this these sort of chunks of the game how any of that stuff's going to actually work um so yeah all i saw was like fable 2 ish looking stuff you mean they had the like the main character on the screen with the dog and he was doing quests um they did have uh you could see the the kind of more sims ish side of it i mean fables always had these social interactions where you would you could go up to anyone in the world and um you know say hello or you know blow a kiss and stuff like that to interact with the npcs and uh in fable 3 everybody has like uh you have a sort of relationship meter with everyone in the world and um doing quests and helping these guys out and doing all sorts of things will change the relationships you can have with people in the ro- in the world so it um that's really the only new aspect that was available to see in the the demo of what i saw but um yeah, I mean, he's, he hasn't, th- at least this time, he hasn't blown things out of proportion from what I can see. I mean, I think a lot is still under wraps. Um, so, I don't know. Well, I've when never it, really... Oh, sorry. Sorry, James. I was. When is it due to ship? Is it 
this end year. of this month. End of this month. Wow. Um, Which is so, nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's come around quite fast. Fable is one of those games where I am not constantly keeping tabs on it. Um, but when it turns up, it's a nice surprise. Um, but no, shouldn't, I, I, shouldn't Microsoft be forcing everybody to keep tabs on this? Do they have anything else first party that's particularly big? Um, I mean, they had Halo uh, the, this year, uh, last month or whatever. Well, Gears of War 3 was not supposed to be too far off before they pushed it back. Um, probably didn't want to uh, you know, use up all their AAA names in one space of one year or whatever. But um, yes, I... What else did he really say? Um, but no, so, he, ju- he just—he did just come off as really humble uh, compared to what most people say and what he's been quoted as saying in the in the press. Um, so yeah, it was his entertaining, uh, he, very a very good stage presence, and he—it uh, was a very good presentation. He paced it out quite well with the you know PowerPoint presentation, lots of video pictures and stuff. So. Yeah. Oh, there's also some um, brief shenanigans with some um, acting before uh, the show began. They had these two guys dressed up as like bandits from the games, and uh, there was some really badly choreographed or not choreographed at all sword fighting that took place, Excellent. Um, which was very cringeworthy. Pantomime. Um, yeah, that went on for a minute or so, and. I don't think he even got like a round of applause after it finished because people were just Ouch. like, what the hell was that? <laughs> um, Who let these but, men on stage? <laughs> yeah. It was like school play, you know, quality if it uh, hadn't been rehearsed at all, basically. <laughs> so Excellent. <laughs> what, a, what a wonderful way to herald the game that you've uh, described to be the best ever. So. Yeah. That yeah. was a I think, horrible I think way to kick things off. Peter Molyneux is like Ken uh, uh, Kutaragi. Very easy to caricature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then uh, there was also a couple, like a like a man and two women dressed in like pauper's clothing, who just kind of sat behind Molyneux the whole time on the stage. They didn't for do any reason. Uh, the only reason was they were giving out um, swag at the end. They were giving out like Fable Three T-shirts and stuff, which I I grabbed one. But basically, they were <laughs> pulling. Like what the guy was clearly quite bored and was pulling faces and doing silly things in the background, which was. You know, oh. kind of not very professional, <laughs> um, but, no, but, but uh, somehow it seems to fit with the the whole Lionhead thing, the way their <laughs> games go. To be honest, maybe. Um, but the the third part of these the theatrics was this um, Yoldi town crier who sort of uh, bookended the start and the finish of the presentation. So he came out with his. Um, I'm not sure if really Americans or anyone outside of. UK really that familiar with these types but I guess it was you know back in ye olden days you would have this guy who would announce the news in the middle of the town square oh sure town um, criers yeah yeah okay, okay. um yeah so he was very good very loud um knew his stuff could have been like one of these like pro amateur guys who we have in this country who you probably see in like a renaissance fair in America or something you might see him actually in a uh, uh, a throwback um a Virginia setting. Yeah. Yes. How does how does Peter Molyneux come across to you guys in the states? Is it that do you see him as uh, a real uh, creative figure or more of a oh look at that cute English guy? Oh, he's <laughs> <laughs> well, watching 
watching James's footage, here's a man who clearly believes in his own product. I couldn't mm. help but feel moved by his enthusiasm. Um, mm. I, it's 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 infectious to be to be honest. Now again, I like to caricature and and uh, lampoon Ken Kutaragi, and of course the same goes for for Peter in these elaborate promises and these grand visions, which are uh, rather uh, chastened by reality. Five hundred dollars. We'll never forget when those words were ushered to A3. After that, that was the last time I could believe in the words of Ken Kutaragi. <laughs> well, um, yeah, like Mike was saying, he, he is a visionary. He's just kind of gets, you know, a bit too carried away with himself. Uh, but seeing all these inspirations and influences that he, he went through, um, it's, I don't know, he's it, just... For me, even though I think it's funny that this man is 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 drinking his own snake oil, essentially, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and and he has these he has these these uh, uh, fantastic visions from Wonderland. Um, it, it's refreshing in a way. It, it's it's very unique. It's inimitable. Mm. I I don't think there's as many developers who are as like outspoken and covered in the media as Molyneux, which is maybe part of the the problem that uh, press and uh, you know internet goes are picking apart everything he says. But I mean a lot of you know big name developers like uh, Miyamoto, they barely are ever on record with uh, anything in the press. Um, yeah, the the visibility of people like Molyneux and yeah. Ken Kitaragi is unfortunate at some times but they have big personalities so they're by their nature they're going to be the ones caught in the press more often the the person who really interests me is ken levine mm. again so fiercely intense about irrational games creations these are he's very intelligent his inspirations are not immediately obvious to most people and through that and that intensity and dedication to their product they come up with genuinely in genuinely interesting and new games that's the reason why bioshock was interesting to so many people it wasn't because it changed first person shooters on a a technical or mechanical level it was the the, the sort of the Randian philosophies that they got wrapped up in. But the difference is, is that you don't often get to hear people like Ken Levine rant and rave about what inspired them and what fantastic, wonderful things they're planning for their game. They, either by choice or they're forced to by their parent companies, it's just to stay quiet, we'll handle the, how this game is sold to people. Mm. Yeah, there seem to be a lot more silent great minds in the industry than talkative ones. Yeah, and that's uh, been a complaint with um, quite a few people in the press who are saying, you know, developers should be, you know, should be allowed to have their voice heard. I mean, we have like, not to keep comparing games to movies, but in the movie industry, we've got, you know, these developers, uh, not developers, directors who are, you know, much more in the limelight, like, you know, your Spielbergs and whatnot. And, uh, you know, the people who make these games should uh, 
be known and you know be able to take credit for the, for their work. So, yeah, it's certainly uh, something for us process freaks. Heather, any parting thoughts? Oh, I'll admit that I like seeing the enthusiasm and seeing the personal interest in the games much more than just the uh, sterilized press releases. Yeah, this game is gonna be the. <laughs> the the whatever and look at these features let me speak something that sounds like a lot of bullet points and let me look and, the camera in the eye and it'll be the best until the same game comes out next fall. Yeah, exactly until we make the sequel Indeed. exactly so yeah. fable 3 a fantasy adventure featuring a sanguine hero who offers great things to the people of the land coming soon yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is one thing I like about some of the stuff from CCP, because you can see a little bit of their enthusiasm. That about wraps it up. Thank you very much for listening. We plan to have uh, at least one more of these uh, within the next three years. So we bid you adieu. Uh, not, no laughing, this is serious. <laughs> we thank you for listening and hope to see you again soon. Gameandplayer.net. I repeat, gameandplayer.net. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna plug that. Gameandplayer.net. That's gameandplayer.net. Gameandplayer.net. <laughs> we we need to do a jingle. Yeah. Like, gameandplayer.net applies directly to the forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Please discontinue use if. <laughs> Make cause itchy scalp. <laughs>